Welcome to Healthy Wealthy You, where we'll continue to explore all aspects of functional medicine and good health. We'll help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. Now, here is your host, Dr. Camille Vardy. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille. I'm really excited about today's show. If you are someone who wakes up exhausted after a terrible night's sleep and can't wait to get some caffeine in just so you can drag through the day, then this show is for you. And if you're someone who's often anxious, restless, or always feeling overstimulated, this show is for you. And if you have a neurological issue, or if you're worried about neurological issues that run in your family, including memory loss and dementia, then I hope this show can really help. And the solution might be simpler than you think. In fact, it's so simple that sometimes when I recommend this to patients, they look at me in disbelief. Really? That's it? That's all we're going to do today? But believe me, this is one of the most powerful tools in my toolkit. And I think by the end of today's show, you'll see why. This is one of the most important nutritional deficiencies that I see in my practice. And it shocks me sometimes how people are being given lifelong medications when the real issue is just a single mineral. May I share a story with you? One evening, I got a frantic call from my mother. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Come right away. It was 10 o'clock at night, and I scrambled to get a flight. My mom was in the hospital. By the time I got there, my mother was catatonic, unresponsive. She wasn't moving or talking. It turns out that she had fainted. She had a tendency to extremely low blood pressure, and she was taken to the hospital and admitted for tests. In that first evening, before she called me, she had been restless and couldn't sleep. Not surprising. Hospitals are not known for being peaceful places. They gave her a diagnosis called sundowning. This is a diagnosis often given to older people when they're restless or confused, especially if it tends to be worse in the evening. And it's often associated with Alzheimer's and dementia, which my mom did not have. Let's look at this. My mother's blood pressure was so low that she fainted. Would that make her confused? Easily. Would she have trouble sleeping? Well, with all the monitors and noise in hospitals, probably. Was she out of sorts? Well, possibly. She wasn't feeling well and she was trying to sleep in a strange bed. And on top of that, she'd been fed a bunch of food with chemicals instead of the vegetables out of her garden and the high quality meat raised by her Montana neighbors or the fresh caught fish from those pristine mountain lakes. But because of her age or just because they wanted her to settle down and go to sleep, they gave her a medication, Risperdone, that's often prescribed for sundowning. Well, I knew immediately why my mother was catatonic. Risperdone is a powerful medication that interferes with multiple neurotransmitters, dopamine, serotonin, 
and even the neurotransmitters that control blood flow to her muscles, her heart, and her brain. So here she had fainted because she wasn't getting blood flow to her brain, and then she was on a medication that made that even worse. Risperdone is an antipsychotic medication. It's so strong that it's even given in mental institutions to people who have violent episodes and need to be sedated into compliance. And here they were giving it to my tiny little 105 pound mommy who had such low blood pressure that she already wasn't functioning. Oh, no, no, no. I insisted that she not be given one more dose of it and that I needed to talk to the doctor before anything more happened with her care. I could overhear the nurse's phone call to the doctor. She told him, I think we better take the daughter seriously. She seems to know what she's talking about. I think about that conversation so often when I'm working with patients. What do people do when they don't know how to handle situations like this? The doctors potentially took a situation in which my mother had simply fainted and almost turned her into a catatonic resident of an outrageously expensive memory care center. That's what would have happened down the line. The good news is that as soon as the Risperdone worked its way out of my mother's system, she was alert again. And as soon as her blood pressure was back to normal and I took her home, she was her usual self. Fortunately, her story had a happy ending. But here's the thing. As I talked to her doctor, I realized that four of the primary symptoms they were reporting, including a heart arrhythmia, pointed to magnesium deficiency. They were giving a medication meant for violent psychotics to a frail old lady, one, a medication that interfered with nerve activity to her heart when she was presenting with an arrhythmia. Oh my. So this is our topic for today, magnesium. And I want to look at one of the most common nutritional deficiencies, one that I see over and over and it's often overlooked by doctors and medicated in very strange and needless ways. Unfortunately, doctors are still rarely taught about nutrition in medical school. I have looked at websites for some of the best medical schools in the country, and it's difficult to find a course in nutrition, even as an elective. In functional medicine, in traditional medicine, such as Chinese medicine, Half of our approach asks, what do we need to get rid of? And the other half of the time, we need to ask, what do we need to add? And as we age, as we look at longevity medicine, the question of what we need to add is of even greater importance. Nutrition is, or should be, half of all medicine. So let's talk about magnesium, because this is truly one of the most common deficiencies and one of the most overlooked. And it's so important for so many things. It's such a simple, inexpensive nutrient, and it's one that I see making a huge difference for my patients for such a wide range of problems. First, why does it have such a big effect? It's one of the four core electrolytes. 
The other three are sodium, potassium, and calcium. Electrolytes, by its name, bring electricity to chemical reactions. And that electricity is used to bring nutrition into our cells and the toxins out. Those electrical charges control our nerves, and that is how our brains can communicate with every organ and every cell of our body. So if we run out of electrolytes, everything stops. We see that, for example, when a long distance runner hits the wall, so to speak, they just drop to the ground and can't go one step further. So while we generally don't get ourselves into that kind of extreme situation, we do get some big effects, some very global effects when we're running low. Broadly speaking, you can think of sodium and calcium as running the on switches of the nerves and potassium and magnesium as running the off switches. Now, most people get sodium pretty easily, salt and many people get too much. Potassium is easy to get in the diet if we try. It's in every fruit, every vegetable, every bean, every grain. Every plant food contains potassium. We think of potassium and we think of bananas, but that's only because in the 1950s, when the recommended daily allowances were being established, they thought that bananas were the, was the only fruit or vegetable that people would eat. But really, it's better to get a wide range of all the fruits and vegetables and plants. Now, most people get enough calcium. We tend to eat a lot of milk and cheese in our diet. And lots of people are encouraged by their doctors even to take calcium for bone health. And while that's good for bones, we often get too much calcium. And especially if we don't get the magnesium to balance it out. Calcium and magnesium have to work in ratio with each other. And what might be good for our bones could be harmful for our nervous system, as we'll see today. So why are we out of balance? Well, the typical American diet doesn't focus on foods that are high on magnesium. Nuts and seeds, spinach, beans, tofu, soy milk, Remember, if you are having soy products, always use organic because if it's not organic, it's genetically modified. Add to the list whole grains and dark chocolate, among other things. So if calcium turns the nerve on and magnesium turns it off, think what happens when we run out of the ability to turn things off. It's like a toddler who's discovered how to turn on a light switch and thinks it's so much fun to turn it on over and over and over. That toddler is like calcium. Magnesium is like the mom who has to come along and turn it off. So he turns it on, mom turns it off. He turns it on, mom turns it off. Over and over until mom, the magnesium, is exhausted and frustrated. So that's what it's like for your nervous system when you have a lot more calcium than you have magnesium. And this not only wears out your nerves, but every organ that your nerves control, including your heart. The idea that calcium turns the electricity on and magnesium turns it off 
is something that is super important to keep in mind throughout today's conversation. Keep thinking about that mischievous toddler. When we don't have the ability to turn things off, we have overstimulation in many ways. Our brains, our nerves, our muscles, every organ, every part of our body that is stimulated by those nerves. We see overstimulation to the heart, to the gut, to the adrenals, and this excess electricity to the nerves can be so strong that it can essentially fry the nerves and kill off the nerve cells. So let's see how this plays out. Magnesium helps with neurological issues of all kinds. It can help with spasms, restless leg syndrome, and all kinds of involuntary muscle twitches. It can help with ear ringing, which is just this overstimulation of the nervous system. There's good evidence that magnesium is a good adjunct treatment for seizures and epilepsy, meaning that it can help the medications to be more effective, especially in stubborn cases that aren't responding to medication. And it can help reduce the severity and frequency of seizures, which can be important too. Magnesium can have a similar effect as medications that support GABA, such as Neurontin, Xanax, Ambien, and Valium. So it can have a similar effect to those drugs. And it can even help to reduce the dose or increase the effectiveness of those medications. GABA is a neurotransmitter that turns the volume down on the nervous system, and magnesium does the same thing. So they work well together. Magnesium can have a tremendous role in sleep. In helping us to turn off the overstimulation of the day, it can help us to have deeper sleep because we aren't tossing and turning. Our brain and all of our organs get to slow down and rest. And that means we get to wake up more refreshed. Now, genetics can play a big role here. There's an enzyme called GAD, GAD the GAD enzyme, that helps us to modulate the electricity in our nervous system. It helps us to process it and tone it down. People who don't make that enzyme as well as other folks have trouble turning the volume down. And that's where the medications are often prescribed, the ones that I mentioned earlier, like Neurontin. Now, magnesium can be helpful here too, and possibly could be something to try before going on these medications. This might do the trick. Now, obviously, if it's an emergency situation like seizures, you know, you don't necessarily want to take on your own self-care. But if we're talking about pain, if we're talking about um, um, something that's more chronic, then it's certainly something to consider. Curbing this extra electricity is important for the long term. Too much electricity through the nerves can actually damage the nerves. It's just like an electronics device that overheats. Too much electricity overheats the system, and that's like our anxiety or hyperactivity. But if we really send too much voltage through, just as we can damage our devices, we can damage our nerves and our brains. It's a key piece of the puzzle in neurodegenerative disorders, such as dementia, 
Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and ALS. It's really interesting to note that a notice came out to doctors just last week that a common group of medications that are prescribed to reduce the brain plaque that causes Alzheimer's has actually been shown to increase brain atrophy. So it actually can accelerate Alzheimer's disease. Now, on the other hand, a very good study out of Beijing University um, that was published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease specifically showed that high magnesium levels interfered with production of that brain plaque and that low magnesium levels encourage that plaque. They specifically suggested that increasing magnesium can help in the prevention of Alzheimer's. Magnesium is also helpful with headaches, especially migraines. And it, it helps in two ways. One is to curb the ele extra electricity that's going through the nervous system, as we've been saying. The other is that it helps relax the muscles in our neck and it relax, relaxes the arteries that bring blood supply to the brain. So supplementing with extra magnesium during headaches can substantially reduce the pain and the duration of headaches. One study at the New York Headache Center tested 3,000 people with migraines. They showed an 80% reduction in migraine symptoms with the addition of 200 milligrams of magnesium daily. And the American University in Washington, D.C. conducted a meta-analysis. That's where they look at many, many studies and they try to get an overall perspective on a problem. So they did a meta-analysis and they found strong evidence overall that magne magnesium is effective for treating migraines across all studies. A big surprise is what we see in the case of traumatic brain injury. In the injured area of the brain, the amount of magnesium drops substantially in ratio to calcium. And since this ratio is crucial for protecting the brain from excessive electrical charges, this is a key factor in how much damage we see from traumatic brain injuries. In one study, the greater the degree of injury, the greater the shift in the ratio of magnesium and calcium. This would indicate that we're using a lot of magnesium to help manage the trauma. In another study, the greater the magnesium levels at the site of the trauma, the better the recovery. And when magnesium was given intravenously, swelling on the brain was significantly reduced. This has implications for the health of our brains over our lifetime. If magnesium is helpful for large traumas, it's likely to be helpful for the daily micro traumas that our brains experience from chemical exposure, poor diet, and the general effects of aging. So it's not just protective of our nerves. It's also important for healing and regenerating. Chronic deficiencies can make a big difference taken over the course of our entire lifetime. Magnesium is important for many types of chronic pain. Not only is it directly helpful for muscle spasms, the study that I mentioned earlier from American University found multiple studies that indicated improvements in chronic pain when taken for at least two weeks 
and even more significantly after six months. Fibromyalgia is a neurological condition with intense widespread widespread pain and tenderness, coupled with other unpleasant symptoms, such as severe fatigue, cognitive dysfunction, memory loss, headache, and sleep problems. At least three studies found significantly decreased levels of magnesium in fibromyalgia patients as compared to patients in the control groups. We also directly feel this overactivation of the nervous system. We don't have an off switch for the electricity coursing through our nervous systems. We feel it as anxiety, nervousness, anger, agitation, hypersensitivity to stimulation, especially in crowds, insomnia, headaches. It can manifest as hyperactive behavior, even in children. The American University analysis found strong evidence for the role of magnesium in depression. Multiple studies found that magnesium levels were found to be significantly lower in people with depression and that there was a correlation to both the severity of symptoms as well as treatment outcomes. Two studies showed significant improvement in depression over the course of six and eight weeks, respectively, when 250 milligrams of magnesium was taken. They found that magnesium helps to regulate the rhythms that control our hormones, the the hypothalamus-pituitary axis. This has important implications for stress, as well as for the mood symptoms associated with PMS. Magnesium is especially important for PMS because much of our available magnesium in our body goes to building up the blood in the days prior to menses and is lost when bleeding occurs. The need for magnesium can actually go up as much as tenfold before and during a woman's cycle and can easily account for many of the symptoms we associate with this time of the month. In fact, by the way, since dark chocolate is high in magnesium, this is one of the reasons why so many women crave chocolate at this time of the month. This overexcitation of the nerves has implications for all of our organs, especially our heart. And we'll talk more about that when we come back from our break. This is Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You. We'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. 
We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille. And today we're talking about a truly miraculous nutrient, magnesium. So let's look at magnesium and heart health. This is such an important issue that there were seven major clinical studies published in the British Medical Journal and the journal called Drugs. Um, These studies showed that IV magnesium given after an acute heart attack reduced the chance of death by an average of 55%. Magnesium is essential for keeping the heart rhythm stable. The heart is a muscle and the blood vessels have muscles. And like all of the muscles, calcium helps contraction and magnesium helps relaxation. Sodium activates, potassium deactivates. As we said earlier, all four electrolytes are essential, but we often get more calcium than magnesium, more sodium than potassium. So we get more activation than deactivation. And we need both with every beat of our hearts. Magnesium is is nature's calcium channel blocker. So if you're considering a medication like that and your condition is early stage and everything's still safe, if you're not acute and you're not yet on medication, maybe talk to a functional medicine doctor with a specialty in cardiology about whether magnesium can help. Of course, if your situation is advanced or or acute, you need to address it immediately and you must do whatever your doctor recommends and take appropriate emergency medical response if needed. Don't take your situation into your own hands or delay medical attention in any way. When the ratio of calcium to magnesium is off, this can be one possible cause of arrhythmia. Electrolytes are the first thing that should be checked in arrhythmias. Could it be something more complicated? Absolutely. But often, this is actually all it is. If the heart is contracting well, but it's too fast, or if there's tightness in the chest, it may be due to magnesium deficiency. But keep in mind, you also don't want to go to the other extreme. We need the on switch for our hearts as well as the off switch. We need the contraction as well as the relaxation. So this is one place that we don't want to overdo. The ratio is important. We want the calcium to over to be able to contract our hearts and magnesium to relax. So if you're supplementing with magnesium, don't go too far in the other direction. Don't let your heartbeat get too slow. If you feel out of breath when you exert yourself, it may be too much. If you have any serious heart issues, work with a qualified functional medicine practitioner. Don't do it on your own. 
The balance of electrolytes is important for the function of the muscles that control all of the blood vessels. This can be an issue in high blood pressure. If the blood vessels are unable to relax properly and they're too constricted, it can increase the load on the heart. In addition, issues with the exchange of magnesium and sodium in the blood can increase blood pressure as well. Proper magnesium levels can also help to prevent blood clots, so it can lower the risk of strokes. The impact on relaxing smooth muscle can have effects on many of our organs. It's been shown to reduce the severity of acute asthma as it can help relax the lung passages when they're subject to inflammation. It can help reduce tightness in the throat. It can soothe a nervous gut. It can help with an overactive bladder. Anywhere in the body that we want relaxation, this can help. Now, another role of magnesium that we haven't discussed is its impact on elimination. Once the nervous system has used all the magnesium it needs, another of its jobs is to take the water that we drink and moisten the bowel. Now, this is another place where the ratio of calcium to magnesium is important because calcium helps draw water out of the bowel. I see magnesium deficiency in so many people with chronic constipation. I've seen a lot of patients who cancel their second appointment with me because they say, well, you know, this did it. I really don't need anything more. Um, and this is where the variations in the amount that people need can really be seen because there's a tremendous variation in what works for people. So slowly, gently try it for yourself. Your nervous system is going to use it first, and then this is going to use it second. Um, now, I'll talk about the kinds of magnesium and dosing near the end of our show today. Um, and of course, there are other reasons for constipation, such as improper gut bacteria, or simply not drinking enough water, or not having enough of the good oils. So don't keep increasing and increasing the dose. Um, but you keep in mind, you may need more than the recommended daily allowances indicate. And that's a fairly common thing. One important indication um, that magnesium is in play here is if you have both an overactive nervous system and constipation together, that's really a strong indicator because your nervous system is using what it needs first and there isn't enough to go around for other, um, uh, other areas, other issues. So if you have anxiety or arrhythmias or anything else that we've discussed earlier in the show, um, and you also have constipation, this is certainly something to consider. Now, don't be discouraged about being able to use magnesium if you have issues in the other direction and you're concerned about using magnesium for other symptoms. There is a form um, of magnesium that does not have that laxative effect, and we'll talk about that when we talk about how to use it. Um, now, this is such an important issue because people often take elimination for granted. They'll say, well, I've always been like this. Well, maybe you've always been deficient in magnesium, especially if there's a genetic predisposition. Maybe you're one of the people who need to simply need more of it. Um, or maybe you just chronically don't get enough in your diet. 
So don't let this continue. It's not normal or healthy to eliminate once every few days or once a week or even less frequently than that. This builds up a tremendous amount of toxin in your body and increases the risk for many inflammatory diseases, including cancer. And the solution is simple. This chronic constipation issue is a big issue for people with neurodegenerative diseases who often will tend to blame their neurological issue for their sluggish bowels. I see this in things like MS and ALS. Now, in advanced cases, that's true. The nerve damage does impair the functioning of the digestion. But in the earlier stages, it's more likely to be the predisposition for a higher need for magnesium that leads to both the neurological damage and the sluggish bowels. So once again, if you think this is an issue for you, do seek out the help of a qualified medical uh, practitioner who can help you navigate the dosing as well as look at other factors that might be involved. Now, on a whole new aspect of magnesium, a whole big function of it, we should talk about the role of magnesium in energy. I devoted an entire episode to energy last month. And we talked about all the nutritional factors that go into keeping the energy wheels turning. And it's such a big issue for people in our high demand world. So I hope you will go back and listen to that episode. Now, our units of energy are called ATP. And of the eight chemical reactions that it takes that to convert carbohydrates into ATP, magnesium is needed for six of those eight. This has tremendous dietary implications. So if we're using up a lot of magnesium as we process the carbs in our diet, then we can really say that the more carbs we eat, the more magnesium we need. And that's one of the reasons for a big variation in what people need is that there's a big variation in what people eat. That's a big reason why the recommended daily allowances aren't always accurate. And this has big implications for the management of symptoms. If you are someone who has seizures or anxiety or palpitations, take a look at whether those symptoms are worse when you eat sweets. If it is, then you might be able to control your symptoms by eating complex carbs, the slower burning ones, instead of quick sugars. And then when you really, really need want that piece of birthday cake, see if a little extra magnesium will help. This has big implications for what we know as metabolic syndrome. This is the quadruple whammy of heart disease, type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol, and obesity. Now, we've already seen that if we eat sugar, we deplete magnesium, and we saw that how that can affect the heart. Eating sugar, of course, is going to contribute to obesity. But let's look at the fourth part, cholesterol. This is super interesting. Um, we know that people take statin drugs for high cholesterol. More than 35 million people in the U.S. and 200 million people globally take statin drugs regularly to lower their cholesterol. It's, it's the most prescribed drug in the U.S. 
And here's the thing, statin drugs target a certain enzyme that interferes with cholesterol production. Magnesium also slows down the function of that enzyme. So magnesium, in a sense, has exactly the same function as statins. So if eating a lot of carbs depletes our magnesium and low magnesium creates those heart issues and accelerates cholesterol production and contributes to obesity, then magnesium is a key link in metabolic syndrome. One study from the University of Milan found that magnesium was helpful in breaking the cycle of metabolic syndrome, as well as bringing down the inflammation that is associated with it. A meta-analysis of metabolic syndrome, again, that's an examination of many different studies on a subject. A meta-analysis was conducted by the Catholic Hospital of Korea. They found across many studies that the more magnesium there was in the diet, the lower the risk of metabolic syndrome. They saw not just that magnesium was helpful, but that there was specifically a correlation between the amount of magnesium and the benefit provided. Not only is magnesium important for cholesterol, it's also important for whether we turn that cholesterol into arteriosclerotic plaque. Magnesium directly dissolves calcium. This is something that's even been seen outside of the body in a test tube. So when we have enough magnesium, we can minimize calcifications. In addition to directly helping with calcifications, magnesium has an impact on three factors that control calcium in our bodies, parathyroid hormone, calcitonin, and vitamin D. These are involved with the level and location of calcium in the body. So calcifications in general can be helped here. All three of these factors depend on magnesium for their activation and regulation. And this can have implications for arteriosclerosis, kidney stones, stenosis of the spine, and even placking on the brain. Magnesium affects more than 600 enzyme reactions in the body. This includes the enzymes that are essential to the way our DNA helps to make cells. It stabilizes the DNA and helps the structure of our chromosomes. This really means that there really isn't anything that happens in our bodies that isn't affected by our magnesium levels. Phew, are you convinced yet? Oh my, let's take a break here. And when we come back, we can talk about how our diet affects magnesium levels and how to navigate dosing. Given that there is so much variation with people, this is a really important issue. This is Dr. Camille, and we'll be right back with Healthy Wealthy You. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. 
Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille. So before we talk about how to work with magnesium yourself, I need to say again, and I cannot say this strongly enough, if you have any serious health issues, such as heart disease, please work with a qualified functional medicine practitioner. Don't go it alone. Things are often multifactorial, and that means that even if magnesium is a factor for you, even if it's a critical factor for you, it may not be the only issue. So when in doubt, get support. Work with someone who can help you to navigate to the true health you deserve. Our need for magnesium can be strongly affected by other aspects of our diet. As we said earlier, if we consume a lot of sugar and other carbs, we need a lot of magnesium to process it into energy. The more we eat, the more we need. Also, if we're eating a lot of protein, especially concentrated proteins, such as protein powders and protein bars, we're sending a lot, of, a lot of electricity through our nervous systems. We need more magnesium to close those gates. Soy protein, dairy, and wheat can especially be an issue. And it's the concentration of the protein, but also the size of the person that matters. So a protein bar is going to have a bigger impact on the brain of a three-year-old than it would on the brains of their grown-up parents. So be especially careful of this with anxious or hyperactive kids. I talked about this in an earlier episode in January, so please go back to that one to hear more about that. In that episode, we also talked about acetaldehyde, which is produced when we consume alcohol. Acetaldehyde is produced when we drink alcohol, especially when we drink a lot of it quickly, faster than our bodies can process. Acetaldehyde is a chemical cousin of formaldehyde. So when we, when we drink a lot and build up that chemical, it's like we're pickling ourselves in formaldehyde. It's the chemical that gives us hangover symptoms. Well, it takes magnesium to process acetaldehyde too. So the more we drink, the more we increase our need for magnesium. There are also nutrient cofactors to help us use magnesium. So if we're missing these cofactors, we might not be able to use the magnesium we have. B1 and B6 help magnesium enter the cells. Selenium helps it stay there. Zinc helps with absorption. And boron helps with 
with magnesium metabolism. Stress can be a factor in our need for magnesium. Every blast of cortisol gets our heart pumping faster, our muscles contracted, our nerves activated. Magnesium needs to step in to curb this response. Another important consideration, in addition to our diets, is that there are substances that can deplete us. Fluoride, which is commonly added to most public water systems, as well as being found in toothpaste, can deplete our levels. There are medications that contain fluoride that are magnesium depleters. Prozac, Paxil, Cipro, Diflucan, Celebrix, Prevacid, Lipitor, Advair, and common steroids. There are other medications that don't contain fluoride, but still decrease magnesium levels. Diuretics, birth control pills, bronchodilators and corticosteroids for asthma, statins, some antibiotics, and proton pump inhibitors for acid reflux. In fact, a study in 2015 from Houston Methodist Hospital and Stanford University reported that adults who take proton pump inhibitors for heartburn and other GI ailments are between 16% and 21% more likely to experience a heart attack than those who do not. Also, if you smoke, you should know that nicotine is a magnesium depleter. Insulin depletes magnesium. And keep in mind that 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 isn't just an issue for diabetics who take insulin, but is also the issue for people who eat sweets regularly, as it keeps the pancreas pumping out insulin on a regular basis. So it's a double whammy when you eat sweets. Now, one of the big takeaways in this is that people may need very different amounts based on many factors, genetics, diet, exposure to chemicals, smoking, medications, as well as specific health concerns. I saw one patient with severe nerve pain all over her body that needed four times the recommended daily allowance for a while to control her pain. It can be a tricky issue to test for magnesium. Standard blood labs that you get in a metabolic panel from your doctor may not be a true reflection for several reasons. One is that the levels in the blood and the levels in other parts of the body, such as the muscles or your brain, are not necessarily the same. Our blood contains only 1% of the body's total magnesium. So testing the blood can be an inaccurate measure. The highest concentrations are in our brain and heart, which makes sense because those are the most electrically active and magnesium is our electrolyte. As for total magnesium, 60 to 65% of our magnesium is in our bones and our teeth. The remaining 35 to 40% is found in the rest of the body including muscle and tissues and body fluids. Also, the body will maintain levels in the blood for as long as it can. The body will choose to keep magnesium in the blood and sometimes will sacrifice levels in the muscles or other areas that it sees as being less important. 
in addition, much of the issue with measuring magnesium is that it exists in two different forms in the body. One form is when it's already bound with other substances as it is in the blood. And so that's what the blood tests are usually measuring. What we need for most of these chemical reactions that we've been discussing is magnesium that's not bound, that's all by itself. Magnesium that's electrically charged, ready, and available to be used in chemical reactions. So there may be enough of a deficiency to have symptoms, even significant symptoms, even if your blood labs check out. But if you're basically healthy and feel aware of your body enough to work on your own, then the most important thing is to add it in slowly. Again, you'll see results over two weeks to six months. Since it does so many things in your body, your body could have a very powerful reaction as you add it in. For this reason, I like a low-dose supplement. The one that I recommend on the Healthy Wealthy You website is 150 milligrams. So I recommend getting something around that. And you also want to make sure you get magnesium by itself. You don't want to take calcium and magnesium together because then you're not really shifting the ratio. So again, the ratio is all important. That's why I like a low dose. If you start low, you won't have any negative side effects. And then you have a choice every day based on how you're feeling. You could take one pill or two or none at all if you feel that you've had enough. If you get a higher dose, if you get something like 400 milligrams, which is what is often sold in the stores, there's a lot less flexibility. And there are other reasons that it's important to go slowly. It's important not to go too far in the other direction and overwhelm the body with too much magnesium. We need calcium for muscle contraction, including cal contraction of the heart for it to beat. I've had patients who felt so good from the effects of magnesium that they took too much. And they say, but I was so calm and I was sleeping so well. Well, then they had trouble getting a good strong muscle contraction, especially during vigorous exercise. So the keynote here is balance, balance, balance. Be gentle. You won't go wrong if you use a small dose as I've recommended. Give your body a chance to adjust and then see if more is needed. If it ever feels as though it's too much, if you feel too sedated, if your bowels get soft, just skip a night or two. And remember that what you need may vary over time. For women, the time of the month can make a difference, as I mentioned. So more is probably needed around menses time. If you've been eating more processed foods than usual, you might need more. And if you've been under a lot of stress or doing a lot of intense exercise, so if you've run a marathon, if you've taken a huge hike, you're going to need more of all your electrolytes. And if you habitually take a medication or and you're exposed to something that depletes magnesium, you're also going to need more. Now, I've mentioned that too much will soften the bowels. So what do you do if this is already a concern? Does that mean that you don't need, need magnesium? No, that's not necessarily the case because there are lots of other reasons that that might be so. One co common reason might be bad bacteria in the gut. 
So that means that supplementing with magnesium is a little trickier, but it's still doable. So what you want to use is magnesium glycinate. That's also available on the Healthy Wealthy You website. What is tricky is that you won't be able to use the softening of the bowels as an indicator that enough is enough. So you'll just need to be even more slow and careful about your dosing so as not to overdo. If you pay attention to your body, you'll know. You'll, you'll feel calm, you'll sleep well, but you also don't want to feel sluggish or sedated. Your energy and mood during the day will be better because it's supporting, again, your energy cycle, your ATP. You'll have relief from anxiety and you'll be more resilient to stress. You'll have fewer muscle spasms and less muscle tension. Remember, the key thing with electrolytes is balance. And also keep in mind that many problems have more than one cause. So if you get some improvement, but there are still issues, then don't just keep taking more and more. You may need to look at other nutrients, other factors, other health issues. If you're ever in doubt, you're not alone. Reach out to a functional medicine practitioner who can help you with the process. We can test your nutrient levels. We can test for other health concerns. What I have outlined here today is only one piece of the puzzle, but I hope it's a helpful one. One more possible step in regaining your health and living your best life. Thank you for joining with me today. This is Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You on Voice America Radio. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Healthy Wealthy You. Have a question but weren't able to get on the show today? Join us next week and call in. Until then, hold that inspiration.